Welcome back to the Grand Podcast, um, and thank you for joining us for this very special bonus episode for Yom Kippur. Um, we're going to be joined by Rabbi Michael Rosenzweig, who is one of the Rosh Yeshiva of Reitz, uh, and is the author of the brand new book, Mimini Michael, Essays on Yom Kippur and Teshuvah, which is published uh, as part of the Reitz Hashkafa series. Um, we'll be asking Rabbi Rosenzweig our one question for this series to teach us the whole Torah standing on one leg, um, and I'm sure he'll also give us much to think about as we go into Yom Kippur um, and transition from the Yom Noraim into the rest of the year. Uh, so without further ado, here is our Rosenzweig. Um, it is an absolute pleasure to be joined uh, by Rabbi Michael Rosenzweig, um, Rosh Shiva at uh, Rabbi Isaac Al-Khanan, uh, Reitz, um, and the author uh, of the new book, Mimini Michal, um, Essays on Yom Kippur and Teshuvah, uh, which has recently been published by Mugged Books um, as part of the Reitz Hashkafa series. Thank you, Rabbi Rosenzweig, for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, it's a busy time, so I'm happy we're able to accommodate all of our schedules to accomplish this. Uh, as are we. Um, so let's uh, let's get straight to it. Uh, Rabbi Rosenzweig, uh, can you teach us the whole Torah standing on one leg? So that's a very ambitious um, task, obviously. Um, you know, my students or anybody who is familiar with me will know, you know, that, um, you know, typically people ask me that kind of question. I, I you know, I choose not to respond because <laughs> it's in the nature of, I guess, uh, my approach to, um, you know, to Torah and to life, you know, that, um, you know, the notion that, uh, you know, one could uh, encapsulate or crystallize, you know, um, something so um, profound and uh, significant, um, you know, al-regalachas uh, is, you know, kind of uh, a little bit objectionable, you know, to my worldview. But since there are precedents for the question, um, and I understand that, you know, it's uh, not intended to be quite uh, literal, not just the standing part, but the the notion that there's like a single, um, again, crystallization of, uh, uh, you know, what it is that's important and significant. Um, so I'll, I'll take a stab at it, I guess. Um, and in context, particularly of um, where we stand, you know, at this point uh, in time, um, and, uh, you know, not coincidentally, also, you know, related to the, um, to the Sefer that was published, um, which focuses on uh, the theme of Tshuva and the theme of uh, the themes of Yom Kippur. So uh, this time of year, uh, beginning with Elul and then progressing um, all the way till Yom Kippur and so, to some extent then continuing um, through uh, Hoshana Rabbah and really through Sukkos, because you have the full range of, maybe we'll talk about this, of Avoda you know, Beira and Avodah B'Simcha, um, serving, you know, Kaddish Baruch Hu, um, you know, with the full range of our, you know, human emotions and, you know, mobilizing, I guess, all of our capacities, you know, to um, enhance uh, the meaning of our, our lives. So um, it's a time of introspection, obviously, um, because of the um, uh, fact that our fates, you know, hang in the balance. Um, from my point of view, the introspection isn't, uh, you know, the the result only of the judgment. Uh, to some extent, you know, the the purpose of the judgment is to um, facilitate and to encourage um, introspection. So uh, the way I understand it, it's it's a time of year where you know uh, we don't just respond, you know, to um, either past um, urgent, um, you know, the need to you know, respond and to react to things that, you know, to chataim, sins, or or other, um, you know, experiences that we've had, it's a time, you know, to look forward um, and to use the past um, and to use the um, the judgment as an opportunity to take stock, you know, in, uh, in our lives and to um, examine, you know, our priorities and our principles. If the rest of the year we live, you know, on the basis of certain principles and priorities, and mostly we focus on whether or not the implementation um, corresponds to the um, to the program, to the goal, to the telos, um, I think the period of um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, etc., is a time when we reassess, you know, the principles and the priorities um, and the goals uh, themselves. And that, of course, is very conducive to, um, 
don't know about uh, defining Kol Torakula al Regalachas, um, all of the Torah on you know in one fell swoop, but it um, it it is conducive to um, identifying, I guess, you know what are the core issues you know that we face um, as you know human beings, as as Jews, as uh, Torah Jews, and of course um, you know each one of us. You know, um, as a member of a specific community and as individuals, um, et cetera. So, you know, even though, you know, it's usually more complicated than that, it's still more complicated than that. But the um, I think, you know, that what I would want to convey to people is that the period, you know, beginning in L and ending, um, you know, towards the end of Tishrei um, is really uh, an opportunity, you know, to reassess um, the most important thing in anybody's life, and that is the purpose of one's existence. Like, uh, what are we supposed to accomplish, you know, in this uh, short period that we have? Um, none of us, you know, can fully comprehend, you know, um, some of the profound questions uh, of life. Why are we here? What are we supposed to accomplish? The Torah um, is, is our guide, um, and, um, you know, the halacha, you know, really uh, um, serves, to use the language of uh, Mori Varabi, uh, Rav Soloveitchik, as a kind of a prism that, um, you know, defines for us our priorities and defines, um, identifies, you know, the values that we want to, um, that we want to project. And um, so it's that, you know, uh, I guess the al regalachas is um, the commitment that we have to that tradition, which addresses um, the endemic or organic uh, question of meaning in life, you know, for man. How, what do we want to accomplish, you know, in the brief time that we are here? And um, if the answer is we want to live, you know, uh, according to a certain tradition, because that tradition is the foundation for building something which philosophically seems to be impossible. Uh, but humanly and experientially is indispensable. And that is, you know, how uh, human beings with all their limitations um, can, uh, you know, create a meaningful relationship with uh, the omnipotent and omniscient um, creator. Um, that That's the biggest question that, you know, every human being, you know, struggles with. And, um, you know, the answer of halakhic Judaism is that the Torah has provided a, um, a mechanism, a structure, you know, to accomplish just that. And that, you know, even though it seems philosophically, you know, impossible, uh, we can't really speak about uh, the creator, you know, in uh, using accurate language, you know, what the Ramam called the problem of negative theology or negative, you know, terminology um, or negative attributes, um, you know, and, and you know, it's just anything that we come up with, you know, as, you know, um, all of the great classical Jewish thinkers have have explained is is always going to be inadequate. Um, but um, our belief is that the gift, you know, of the Torah is a blueprint and a, a guide guidance uh, to us to, you know, bridge that, you know, impossible gap um, and to develop some sort of uh, real bond um, and the foundation for a meaningful life. We do that um, through Torah study. Um, it's interesting to note that the, um, you know, the Gemara in Masech and Brachos and Daf Chafalof Hamad Aleph explains that the uh, bracha that we say, the benediction that we say before Torah study um, is, um, you know, based on uh, on the Pasuk, Kishem Hashem Akra, Havu Godel Elokeinu. The Ramban um, in his commentary on uh, Sefer Mitzvos, um, is critical of the Rambam for not counting Birchas HaTorah um, as an independent positive commandment. Um, he says, you know, it should be, it should be one of the 613. Um, based on this Pasuk, Kishem Hashem Ekra, Havogodel Lelokeinu, when you call the name of God, you know, you should um, express, you know, his greatness, um, etc. So, the Ramban, uh, you know, took, you know, the Gemara in Masechet Brachos, and if possible, you know, he um, amplified its uh, importance and significance even more. But it raises the question, like, why do those words, Kishem Hashem Akra Havogod Why are they, what do they have to do with Torah study? 
Um, and according to the Ramban, it's not just, uh, you know, like a mnemonic device or something like that. It's it's a real source. Um, we use, you know, that phrase to teach us or convey other things like, you know, bowing down when we hear the name of God. That's much more reasonable, Kishem Hashem Ekra. What does the name of God have to do with Torah study? And the Ramban himself, in his um, introduction to his commentary on the Torah, starts off in a very Kabbalistic way, but he tells us uh, that, you know, the entire Torah is are the names of God, um, rearranged, I guess, and, you know, uh, you know, multiple or, you know, maybe infinite ways, whatever that means. So, again, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that, um, you know, this remarkable idea that he, you know, conveys in the beginning introduction to his commentary and his um, very singular view um, about Birchas Torah, uh, all both emphasize, you know, the, the names of God. But I think the point is that um, beyond mysticism, that, you know, a name is a point of access and it's a way of, you know, relating. And I think what the Ramban is profoundly telling us is that, the, you know, the Torah is uh, the, the solution, you know, to the philosophic problem and the existential problem of providing, you know, a, uh, a basis for what should be an impossible relationship, but was which is the most necessary relationship, um, because it's Dvar Hashem, it's the word of God, and, you know, uh, it's therefore the name of God. It's the way that we can relate or start the conversation uh, or enter into, you know, some sort of um, catcher. Um, it's by invoking that name. So the Torah's, you know, in one respect, the names of God, and therefore, Kishem Hashem Ekra, when you pronounce that name, that's kind of the introduction. When you sit down to study the word of God, you know, you kind of acknowledge this uh, this idea. The implication of it is, uh, and while the Ramban, I'm quoting the Ramban, but the Ramban, but I, I think the principle is something that uh, is very traditional. Um, you know, the Rambam, you know, in his Mordevuchim, uh, speaks about the Achtuta Maskil Vahamuskal, which means again that the way that we connect, you know, with um, with God is by attaching ourselves to what He gave us, and that's His Word. So the it's the union of the uh, it's not unio mystica, it's not a mystical union, it's a, a logical rational union. So by attaching ourselves to His uh, to the Torah that He has provided with us, and you know, for traditional Orthodox Jews, that means, you know. The words of the text, uh, the divine text. But uh, equally, maybe more importantly, it means the uh, halachic tradition, you know, that accompanies it, which, um, uh, you know, provides uh, a very extensive uh, perspective on all aspects of life, if only we are diligent enough and uh, sensitive enough, you know, to be able to, to extract it. So that's also part of the Kishem Hashem Ekra, or the Achtuta Maskil Vahamuskal. So, you know, if we are able to, you know, commit to that and immerse ourselves in that, you know, then we, um, you know, we can respond to the single most vexing human problem. Um, I'll got to talk about contemporary, you know, things in just a moment. But, um, you know, that's the beginning point. And this period of year, you know, beginning with El and going through Yom Kippur or through Oshana Rabbah or through um, Simchas Torah, you know, in, in you know, overlapping uh, different ways, um, in a way, provides like a bit of a microcosm. On the one hand, it encourages a reassessment and a recommitment precisely to that process uh, of Kishem Hashem of immersing ourselves and trying to become attuned, you know, to um, God's will, you know, through the um, tradition um, and the norms, you know, and everything that accompany it. Um, and in addition, it provides us with um, very concrete, let's say, models, um, you know, which are, are which challenge us, uh, challenge us and also inspire us at the same time. So the transition, you know, from preparing for, you know, Rosh Hashanah through Elul, Anila Dodi Vidodili, the the focus on the relationship itself, um, and you know the you know that picks up steam, you know, and 
you have the uh, Tekiah Shofar in the beginning of the month, and then you have, you know, the David Hashem or Rivi Yeshi, which also, I think, really encapsulates this relationship part. Um, you know, um, you know, the one thing that I want and what's it going to be, right? Shifti Beves Hashem. Not you know riches and not uh, pleasure, you know, and um, and not even knowledge, you know, but simply to bask in the presence of the Rabbanu Shalom, which is another way of saying, um, you know, to have some sort of a bond and kesher. That that's what makes our lives uh, worthwhile. So we have the Davar Hashem Ori. We have the, you know, the uh, shofar, you know, which came to a crescendo. Uh, this year only on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, um, unless you know those of you living in Eretz Yisrael or in the in the Mikdash, and you know, or uh, I'm just yeah, whatever. But um, so the you know the cold mamadaka of the of the shofar, which is um, you know silent but you know inarticulate, but you know because of it, um, ineffable and more powerful you know prayer that begins Elul, but. You know, almost you know, getting accustomed to it, so that you can reach the uh, the crescendo on, on Rosh Hashanah, um, and the slichos, which begins according to different traditions at different times, but the invoking of the thirteen, you know, midos uh, harachamim, uh, going back, you know, to uh, the cheta egal and the response to uh, the maraglim, and as the Gemara describes it in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, and Daf Yudzayin, you know. Uh, the Gemara says, you know, you wouldn't be able to describe this or talk about it, you know, if, uh, you know, if the Rabbanu Shalom didn't already, you know, introduce the subject, it would almost be blasphemous, you know, to speak about, you know, him appearing and teaching, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, how to uh, reach out, you know, in types of uh, of crisis, etc. So you have that, you know, that's all in Chodesh El, and the Slichos continues. And then you have Rosh Hashanah, which is, uh, in my view, the most complicated day of the year. It's a day in which you sort out, you know, uh, a wide range of emotions um, and your introspection. Each person's introspection and each person every year's introspection is by definition different because it, it relates to particular experiences within a broader framework. And that, you know, Rosh Hashanah, for that reason, you know, is uh, a time of trua, but, you know, trua has multiple meanings. It's sighing and it's sobbing and it's sighing and sobbing together. And it's the shofar of Yovel, you know, and the joy that that brings together with the shofar of the Akedah, of sacrifice. So it's the most, in my opinion, wide-ranging day of the year where the interplay and the dynamic between fear of God and love of God, between joy and reverence, um, again, core human emotions, you know, that by definition, um, are, you know, in most religions, it's one or the other. You know, there are fearing religions and there are joyous religions. Um, for us, this is all part of, you know, um, an integrated, uh, wide-ranging experience. And then leading to Aserasim Echubah, which is where we are right right now, um, which is the bridge between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Chazal speak about Aserasim Echubah in a peculiar way. They talk about Asara Yamim Shebein Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And uh, again, you don't need to be a uh, mathematician um, to understand that if Rosh Hashanah is on day one and Yom Kippur is on day 10, then there aren't 10 days between them. Uh, but I think it's Chazal's way, they say it several times, of explaining that, you know, uh, you have to be careful in Rosh Hashanah to give it its due. It has its own dynamic. It accentuates, again, these broad themes about how we relate, you know, to the purpose of existence and meaning. Um, and then you take that, you know, um, after giving it its its due, and you integrate that as an overlapping way, you know, to get to Yom Kippur. So there's Rosh Hashanah, and then there's the bridge, which is both overlapping and independent. Um, and then there's Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur, in my opinion, is... Um, you know, two things. I would say it's it's the simplest day of the year, even as it's the most, you know, important day of the year. It's a day, uh, you know, after the complexity and the full range that you've gone through on Rosh Hashanah um, and, you know, Sarasimei you kind of reach Yom Kippur and then it's like an allegiance and a loyalty question. It's like, uh, you know, Kula Lashem, uh, the Seir, the goat, which is Nichnas uh, Lifnai Velifnim, goes inside the... Uh, Kodesh HaKadoshim, 
uh, together with uh, Aaron Cohen, and um, you know it's either that or the Seira Mishdaleach, the the Seira that you're going to throw um, off. I'm not sure why my thing is doing that, but the um, Seira that's going to be you know ceremoniously and unceremoniously you know thrown you know um, off the cliff. The Yom Kippur is a day of extremes. It's a day in which we outdo Malachim, even though um, our status as human beings elevates us beyond. Malachim, but we want to show we can compete with them and outdo them, you know, as well. Uh, so Yom Kippur is a day of uh, Kula Lashem, a day of the Kohen Gadol, um, a day of the Avoda. Um, but you reach it, you know, after very hard work and a lot of introspection, and then it's time to, like, decide, uh, almost like a loyalty test or an allegiance test, you know, where um, where you stand. And um it's fascinating that that then leads again into another transition. Like there's evidence that Jim Kippur to Sukkot is a has a certain status, um, and then of course Sukkot is the time of Simcha Yaseira, of uh, excessive joy. Even as Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, to use the language of the Rambam, were uh, days where Ein Bahem Simcha Yaseira. So I think the outletting of all the range of human emotions in all sorts of different configurations. Um, is a way in a very microcosmic, I guess, a fashion, you know, to al um, in a way, you know, to to take all to mobilize all of our you know humanity, um, all of our propensities, you know, from from one extreme to the other, from you know extreme joy to extreme you know anxiety, you know, from awe and reverence you know, to a certain intimacy and familiarity. You know, we have all of these emotions, you know, and uh, calibrated in some respects, you know, there's a process. And they're also, sometimes we move backwards and we integrate them and we, they're a jumble, just like like it truly is in, in real experience and real relationships. So um, the goal ends up being um, in this microcosmic period, you know, to... Um, I guess, apply the fullness of our potential and the fullness of our humanity with all of its, uh, you know, flaws, but also with all of its greatness in, in overcoming them and, and in, in focusing them on a transcendent purpose um, on trying to grasp and trying to elevate our connection to um, to meaning and to, you know, there being a purpose, you know, um, for our existence. So I, I think that that's mostly what this period is about. Um, that, you know, it's a microcosm because that that's really what our um, purpose, you know, ends up being every day. Um, Kedusha Sazman, the sanctity of time, um, you know, is like, is always uh, uh, a point of reference, you know, where we can intensify like our focus, you know, on, on certain themes um, you know, that make life worth living and, and that are parts of the bond that we have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Um, all year round, mostly, we, you know, we're pulled in all different directions. We're obligated to live a more balanced life. But every Chag um, is an opportunity to accentuate, you know, in a much more powerful way, um, you know, the, the individual themes. And by doing so, we kind of project that our balance year-round is not uh, a consequence of compromise or like a tepid commitment. You know, we can do a little of this and a little of that, you know, but without the intensity. It's our way of, you know, kind of uh, declaring, you know, that we're here, we're willing. Um, our goal, you know, is is to be intense and to be maximalist. Um, all year-round, the maximalism expresses itself, you know, in being able to outlet all these different range of emotions. And in any particular Chag, um, and again, Tishrei is, uh, you know, the, the Chagim are, are, are interconnected. The Ramban uh, in Parsha Semor says this, it's a Chodesh Hazeh, Chodesh Hashvi Hazeh. Um, he has other very close readings of the Psukim in Parsha Semor to show that, you know, there is this, um, you know, process uh, going on. But the importance of um, every Chag is in the um, commitment that reflects on certain individual themes in a very intense way. And the most, you know, um, perfect example of that is really Yom Kippur. Um, 
which is Shabbos Shabbason, and it's the most intense day of the year. I always like to point out that, um, you know, the Torah three times uses the expression, twice in Parsha Samar and once in Parsha Tetzave, um, Achas Bashana, you know, when it comes to um, Yom Kippur, it's once a year. So we know it's once a year, um, you know, what's the point? But to me, the point is that Yom Kippur is in one respect, you know, a once, it's singular, it's unique, and it's the most different day of the year. You know, in uh, in Parsha Samar, it's introduced with the word ach, you know, which is, um, it kind of brackets it off. Um, there's nothing, you know, more unusual, and it can be easily demonstrated, you know, um, both objectively, just looking at it, and in terms of the way that, you know, the Torah itself describes it, and all sorts of, uh, it explains many conundra um, to understand that Yom Kippur was intended to be the most uh, unique day of the year. But the bigger point is that it's also the most important day of the year. It's kind of the linchpin. It's the most relevant day of the year. It's Akas, but it's also Bashan. So it has to be linked to um, your past, you know, during the year. And it has to be, um, you know, inspiring going forward, you know, to the year that is to come. And that um, you know, it's kind of the commitment of Kulo Lashem and Shabbos Shabbason and the Kohen Gadol and the choice of the Seirim. Um, but it's, you know, working off of and then being applied forward to, you know, how you balance, you know, the rest um, of your life, of your commitment, but, you know, being inspired, let's say, um, you know, by Yom Kippur. Of course, uh, in every individual year um, and or era, you know, there are beyond the question of the purpose of existence, um, you know, uh, which is the, you know, universal and endemic um, question of man. Um, There's the question of how to um, live in the real world and, you know, how to remain faithful to that goal, you know, even as um, circumstances always are in flux and there are changes and there are always new opportunities and new um, challenges. Um, so, you know, in addition to the, you know, the core, you know, principle, um, the axioms and, and, you know, the, um, you know, the things that apply, um, you know, ubiquitously throughout our life and, and pervasively, um, every, you know, individual and every, you know, group in every era, you know, has its own particular, as I say, um, you know, issues to, to confront, and if we believe that um, engagement with the world um, is important, which I certainly do, um, internally it's important, both in terms of uh, the responsibility that we have to be, uh, you know, um, a source of, of constructive, you know, conduct and, and principle in the world, as well as for pragmatic reasons, uh, we are connected to the rest of the world, and therefore, you know, um, it's uh, engaging with it, trying to you know, um, as I say, be, you know, a positive um, um, example to have, you know, influence in the marketplace of ideas. If all these things are are significant, and I certainly believe they are, um, you know, they come with uh, a challenge in, in every uh, generation and, and in everybody's individual circumstances, you know, being very um, principled about how one goes about you know, applying one's commitments um, that are universe, you know, that are eternal, you know, in every generation. Uh, Torah's Torah commitment is, uh, uh, you know, something that is uh, immutable. The halacha is immutable. Its application, of course, um, is always, um, you know, uh, connected to the individual circumstances. Uh, but that becomes, I think, a second challenge, how to apply these, you know, overarching, um, abstract, but not really abstract. I mean, the, the principles that, you know, define our core and our essence and our purpose, like how do you actually implement them, um, you know, in a real world, um, in any particular generation and circumstances where, you know, there are either challenges, um, in some cases, you know, where there's a clash between self-preservation and and the, you know, constructive engagement itself, uh, et cetera. And I think uh, that, you know, is uh, a more specific, uh, the details of that challenge change. Uh, But then again, uh, we have to, um, 
you know, adopt the the guidelines and the blueprint um, of the values, you know, that we hold so dear, that we cherish, you know, those need to be um, the foundation, you know, of how we um, apply that, um, you know, as well. Now, Soloveitchik, uh, Mori Varabi, that's all used to say, that if, you know, he had to, uh, he had the opportunity to coin a 14th uh, animamin, you know, in addition to the ones that are based on Rambam's, uh, you know, 13 principles of faith, it would be that uh, Torah could be lived, you know, under any, um, you know, circumstances, that it is applicable, relevant, um, and can be implemented with integrity, you know, in all, um, you know, circumstances, no matter what the cultural climate and the social milieu, you know, that's the the greatness of uh, transcendent Torah, you know, and halacha. So I firmly believe that uh, as a loyal, you know, student, and I'm certainly uh, very passionate about that concept and idea. But uh, of course, the, um, you know, the application of it, um, if one wants to remain engaged, you know, in, in the real world, but where there are always, um, you know, um, changes and pressures and counter pressures, um, you know, so you have to be very um, careful to uh, to implement that, you know, with integrity. And um, Rav Salvechik's portrait of the Ish Halacha, you know, as somebody who, you know, doesn't just study and doesn't just, you know, conduct himself according to the norms of the Halacha, but who um, extracts from them Again, a value system, and you know, I mentioned before, a kind of a prism that allows him to filter out, you know, what is unacceptable, and and in some cases, to um, you know, accentuate further the the opportunities, you know, that a certain cultural or or practical, you know, um, context, you know, provides. I think that too is the, you know, al regalachas challenge that we have. And it's, you know, Salvechik formulated it, he articulated it, but I think it's a very, again, it's a totally traditional perspective, which is why it's uh, so compelling and so powerful. You know, my father, um, Zechar Nadevracha, used to like to quote, um, you know, a pithy kind of, you know, uh, you know, drush of uh, Rab Shamshin or Fall Hirsch, you know, who, uh, Commenting on the on the phrase, you know, kavata itim la Torah, which of course really means, did you set a t- set aside time to study Torah? But you know, he gave it a uh, you know a kind of a rabbinic twist and said, uh, you know, do you accommodate? First, of course, uh, like Rav Soloveitchik was somebody who was very um, um, culturally uh, engaged and somebody who you know whose knowledge and uh, interest. You know, in in philosophy and and his awareness of the surrounding culture was very acute, but again, uh, like any uh, you know rabbinical leader, he you know um, had to um, you know um, make difficult decisions. He had to lead a community, and um, so he used to say, "Kavata itam la Torah." Are you setting the times to the Torah or the Torah to the times? Meaning. What is your eco? What is your tafel? What is your prism? And what is your you know application? So um, you know, I think the, you know this is really the message of of Kohelis. Kohelis is the you know the safer you know that seems to challenge um, you know the um, the purpose uh, the value you know of life havel havalin hakol havel and as we know you know uh, the safer Kohelis um, examines. You know all sorts of different perspectives on life, uh, philosophies of life, uh, and everything receives a, you know, hevel, you know, havalim, you know, uh, at the end of the day, except for the very, you know, last line of the of the whole sefer, sof davar kol nishma el mirat mitzvotav shemar kol haadam, which um, uh, I take to mean, and I think some of us should explain it this way. That you know all the philosophies that you know previously have been uh, delineated, you know the um, you know the joy and the sadness, the intellectual orientation or the you know um, the hedonistic you know permissibility uh, or license, um, all of those things in the end. Sof davar hakol nishma. There, there's an outlet for all those human you know elements, but it all has to be um, you know assessed and. Um, you know, implemented 
um, on the basis of et um, et mitzvotav shemar, kizek kol ha'adam, meaning not kol adam, but kol ha'adam, totality. You know, man can be balanced and man can be multifaceted and multidimensional, you know, but, you know, it's got to be with a shita. He has to have uh, principles and he has to have a program and he has to have like a methodology. Um, he may not ever be perfect. Um, no human being is, uh, you know, is. But, um, you know, at least the effort um, has to be there, you know, to to remain you know, loyal to your principles. And then there's so much that you can accomplish and there is such a range that you can um, draw from. So I think it's the combination of timeless and enduring, um, you know, concepts, principles on the one hand and the mindfulness and the principle um, of, you know, being attuned to all that so that you can then um, apply it you know, and again, it, it's not all bad. There, there are cultural milieu which are very conducive to, um, you know, uh, our ideology and uh, and the implementation of many things. And that's true even today. And at the same time, there can be side by side. There can be, um, you know, great, um, you know, challenges. Um, and there can be a lot of uh, erosion, you know, in commitment because of the prevailing you know, culture. Um, but I think this combination of commitment to the principles and, um, co you know, being conscious of, of uh, you know, uh, what it takes, you know, to apply them in the most maximalist way, I think that's the combination um, that I would uh, think is really what the um, introspection of the Yom Narayim is all about. Um, and microcosmically, you know, I think it embodies um, what it is that we should always be focusing on, you know, all year round if we had to identify uh, broadly, but, you know, specifically, you know, what uh, what should command our attention. You mentioned, um, I guess, the idea of also looking at the challenges of our of our, height, of, of our generation, the time that we're living in. And yeah. uh, and you spoke about obviously you demonstrate this beautifully in the in your book the Rav's idea that hashkafa should be derived from halacha and I guess in terms of what you were saying before this idea of bridging that impossible gap halacha serving as that bridge um, to having a connection a kesha with Hashem but thinking about again the challenge of the generation who might be in shul on Yom Kippur how, how can this idea or how can this ambition or vision also um, reach or be or, or be presented or be how can let's say those in shul who aren't so familiar with halacha or don't connect to limit torah in the way that people who have a more traditional torah learning background how can they also connect this idea this vision or this ambition well i, I think it's a great question um uh, i for one am very um optimistic about the capacity of Torah and its ideas, you know, to impact people, in some cases, even transformatively. Um, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's obvious that if you have more of a background and you can see the intricate, uh, you can trace the intricate, you know, relationships, um, you know, the more you know, the more you can be attuned. And certainly if you want to be an authority, you have to be immersed in the system. Um, and even then, you know, it, uh, you know, I, it requires guidance and, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly not, um, you know, accomplished, uh, easily. Um, having said that, uh, I have great, um, faith, um, in the capacity of Torah to be impactful and transformative, even on people with very little background, as long as there's a, an open mind, you know, and a willingness, you know, to, um, to be exposed to it. Um, I think, you know, the profundity of the um, of the principles and the ideas, you know, and the, um, you know, air of authenticity, uh, the range, um, all of those things are just incredibly impressive. The, the mental energy that goes into, you know, you're discussing in some cases very minute legal issues, but, you know, it can be demonstrated, you know, by somebody who um, has experience and wisdom and, um, hopefully also has uh, some pedagogic uh, um, capacity as well, that, you know, what seems to be some arcane um, issue, 
you know, is really um, something that touches on a very fundamental human or a fundamental, you know, man, God um, topic. I, I'll just give you an example. I mean, I, I, I give, uh, you know, um, my regular share, um, you know, is in Shiva Sarbeni Yitzhak otherwise known as Yeshiva University. And I have amazing students who um, have excellent backgrounds and they, you know, they prepare a lot and they're, they're you know, they're very innovative and they take a lot of initiative and I'm very proud of them. Um, I also give Shear, and that's my main, you know, bread and butter, I guess. And I'm also the head of, uh, you know, the Kol, together with uh, uh, my colleague, Rabbi Willig, the head of the Kol Elyon of the Yeshiva, which is, you know, for even a more advanced group. And that's mostly what I do. And, you know, I have the privilege of teaching people who are already young scholars and, you know, who have, I say, an immersion in the the way of thinking and, and the texts themselves, et cetera. However, I also give other um, classes during the week, you know, to uh, groups that don't have that kind of background. And in some cases, some of the attendees have very little background. And uh, I also, you know, um, uh, as we all do, you know, give uh, lectures or shirim, you know, um, you know, one-off uh, in different capacities. And one of the things that I have been, um, you know, very consistently I'm not surprised, but very impressed with, is how, what I just said before, which is how people who have an open mind and have an interest, you know, can be touched, um, and in some cases, you know, uh, deeply impacted, you know, by the message of Torah when it's delivered, you know, with sincerity, and there's a, you know, a, a desire uh, to demystify, let's say, the details a little bit, so that, you know, you can understand the values. I mean, uh, just last night, I gave a, a sheer uh, before, um, you know, before Yom Kippur in, in a shul. Um, there were no rab, maybe one rabbi in attendance. There was a very wide range of, I gave a, you know, a talk on, you know, a very small point in the, um, in the Avodos Yom Kippurim, um, you know, when the Kohen Gadol's, you know, reads the Torah um, and the details surrounding that, you know, where, where it takes place, what he's wearing, um, how he reads it, you know, how much orally, how much written, and try to explain that, um, you know, the, the um, integration of, you know, public teaching, let's say, in the middle of this most uh, intense, you know, uh, day of the Kohen Gadol, which is driven by detail after detail of this protocol of the the Avoda, um, all of a sudden in the middle, there's this little break, you know, and the Kohen Gadol is teaching you know, Torah Shabal Peh and Torah Shabiksav. You know, and saying, Yosar Mimasha Kosov Khan, you know, uh, more than what you hear is here. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like a vignette in a vignette, I guess. You know, as I was teaching this, you know, to a group that isn't, you know, necessarily uh, on their own so well versed with the Avodos Yom Kippur. Most people, I think, wouldn't even try. I mean, I have a passion for it, so, you know, and I also like the challenge. But uh, most people say, that's not what you teach Balabatin. You know, you, you teach them things that they're familiar with, that they can understand with simplicity, um, not, you know, some detail in the middle of the Avoda. And I understand that. But um, what I was trying to explain to them was that the Kohen Gondol had the same problem. He was in the middle of the Avoda, and all of a sudden, you know, he... He stops and he, you know, reads Torah Shabbat and and they translate it and they teach it, you know, to the to the tzibur that is there. So um, my experience has been that when people are interested and open minded and they're not, you know, already, um, you know, uh, closing off the possibility that because they don't have background in something, you know, that it's not relevant to them, that um, the impact is really great and it's transformative in, in many cases. People get, have a certain excitement, you know, when they are like a certain kind of epiphany, you know, when um, something that appears arcane, you know, is illuminating, you know, and, and opens up um, concepts and principles, you know, that are, are familiar to them and, and totally relevant to them let's say, the role of Torah study, public Torah study, you know, um, and so on and so forth. And I can give example, you know, after example. I'm not suggesting that you don't take into consideration who your audience is. You always have to, otherwise you're, you know, a poor and in some cases an irresponsible um, teacher. But the idea of um, trying to elevate your audience, you know, when, um, you know, you think you have a good, you know, possibility of achieving that, good capacity to do it, 
um, and trying to expose to them that, um, you know, details are um, a pattern, you know, of principles. Um, I think it's very exciting. And uh, people walk away with, um, you know, with, I think, with uh, not only a, a greater interest to hear more, but I think really with concepts and principles that can change their Yom Kippur um, and so on. So I'm I'm very optimistic about the capacity of um, even, you know, certain esoteric topics, you know, to be um, conveyed, you know, in a way that they are accessible. And um, I think sometimes, you know, you have to think in advance what your goals are, obviously. Um, sometimes the most powerful um, um, didactic um, impact, you know, is in uh, is through that optimism. At least that's been my experience. You also spoke about um, the microcosmic sort of nature of of Elul and Tishrei and and uh, the Yamim Narayim, um, and sort of how. I wonder if you can tell us a bit more about how you know you were saying that Rosh Hashanah is sort of the most multifaceted uh, and complex sort of couple of days and then Yom Kippur is both very very simple but very complex and sort of the the nature of the day is quite apparent and then there's this sudden shift to uh the you know old, the time of Simcha um of Sukkot and in the book there's there's a section on a Tosef at Yom Kippur sort of taking away from Yom Kippur and sort of uh, taking it with you um later into the year I wonder if you could talk to us a bit about I mean not necessarily having to share personal reflections, but if, if you could give some uh, practical advice um, on perhaps sort of things that have maybe happened previously that one might still carry with them to the next Yom Kippur, how, what, what we should be looking out for this Yom Kippur of what we can be taking with us as we go from sort of Yom Kippur into the time of Simcha of Sukkot and how does that tie into, into uh, Teshuvah as well of sort of anticipating that, that gear shift? Well, uh, again, I think, you know, these are very um, highly individualistic things. Um, uh, as I was saying before, I think the range of, of Rosh Hashanah is is there um, for two reasons. Number one, life is complex. People are complex. Uh, the, you know, the demands of, um, of Judaism, uh, of building this, you know, impossible but indispensable relationship um, are by definition, um, you know, very uh, multiple and multidimensional, uh, and therefore it needs to be a, a wide-ranging and, and complicated uh, day. You know, um, in addition to that, um, and this I think is, you know, my response to your question, is that everybody comes to this day, um, you know, by definition, with a different background and a different context. Um, in addition to the full range of, of human experience, all of which is subject to the norms of halacha and the guidance of halacha moving forward, there is a, um, I think, highly you know, personal and individualistic um, aspect of all of this. It's interesting to me, there's a debate um, among the Gaonim already, you know, whether um, you know, one should fast on Rosh Hashanah. You know, um, because it is uh, no, terrifying, maybe too strong a word, but it, it's a very somber day and it's a very, um, you know, foreboding kind of a day. And um, fasting makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, but what's, what's particularly intriguing is that, you know, um, there are three views. There are those who, you know, propose that um, ideally one should fast on Rosh Hashanah. Um, the more majority view is that you're not allowed to fast on Rosh Hashanah at all. You you can't even if you want to. Uh, both of those positions are fascinating. Um, but what's to me the most fascinating view, which is a, a small view of the Gonim and, and later, you know, 15th, 16th century authorities as well. And that is that you get to choose like it's individual choice. You can fast if you want to or they will maybe discourage you unless, you know, you're adamant about it which in the world of halacha is very um, unique. Uh, not that you have choice, but they have this kind of a choice. I mean, Rosh Hashanah, you would think, is either a happy day or a sad day, but it's not. It's it's both an, it's happy and sad at the same time, and it's also ambivalent. And there's also recognition, you know, that one's own experiences um, are going to play a role. I mean, they quote the psukim in, uh, you know, Nehemiah, 
you know, which seemed to talk about, uh, you know, eating a seuda and giving gifts and alteatzvu and not being uh, depressed or unhappy or sad. So some of the from say, well, how would you explain that according to the gaonim who think that you fast? And some of them do suggest that context, whether it's communal or, or personal, may really play a role. And the idea that that would be so in something as public and as, you know, legal slash normative, you know, as as Rosh Hashanah is uh, surprising, but I think inspiring. You know, there are echoes in Rosh Hashanah of um, the fact that there are those who think you should fast, um, that it, it echoes even in the positions of those who think that you can't. Like, um, you know, the Ramah says that if you if a person has to make a um, a tainus chalom, if he like has a bad dream and therefore he has to fast. So typically when you have make a tainus chalom on a Shabbos, you have to fast again another day during the week because you you have to fast, but the fasting, you know, is uh, detracts really from the Shabbos. So you have to, you fast and then you have to fast because you shouldn't have fasted, but you have to fast. But when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, the Ramah says you don't do that because some people think you could fast. So I don't take it only to mean, well, you can rely positions. I think what he really means is that we don't accept that psaq normatively, but we recognize that it has a strong basis because Rosh Hashanah is really a very singular day. It's an ambivalent day. There, Rosh Hashanah, there's a, a fascinating debate about, you know, the Nusach and, you know, whether you say um, the words Simcha and Sason, you know, in, uh, you know, in various parts of the tefillah, uh, or batodienu, uh, some some distinguish, uh, but the point is that you, um, in addition to objectively, you know, being a day with a wide agenda, there is this other um, facet, and that is, you know, what has the community gone through this year, uh, and what does it need to focus on, and what have you personally gone through this year? And I I, I know in my own experience, uh, you know, the details are not really so important, but. Um, you know, depending on, you know, what, what's on our mind on, on a personal level or on a communal level, you know, I know that my uh, Rosh Hashanah, you know, can be very different. And, and in some years, it's very, um, you know, Giduche Ganich, and in some days, it's years, it's Yilula Yalil, and sometimes it's the Shofar of Yoval, and sometimes, you know, it's uh, the Akedah. And um, I think this is true for everyone. And I think, you know, in law generally, and in halacha even more so, particularly, you know, we objectify a lot. Um, it's in the nature of, of of a legal system that you do this, and halacha is, is a particularly, um, you know, um, it's focused on the legality of, of, of everything. The objectification of values into norms um, is something that, you know, tends to um, support or reinforce you know, the concept of low plug, you know, that uh, this is the legal category. You don't veer from that. Rav Soloveitchik, uh, you know, was to him like the words religious uh, subjectivity, you know, were like anathema. They were like, a, you know, a bad word. Um, you know, you have to objectify um, your feelings. At the same time, he, you know, um, very much pushed to the forefront the idea of the kiyum shebelave. You know, you, you do the measured um, act of the norm, you know, and it should trigger emotionally and intellectually, you know, and spiritually in you, like a certain uh, response. That's, that's the ideal. The halakha is objective, and it also triggers, you know, this uh, kind of subjective, you know, feeling and response, which is also part of the religious experience in many cases. But I think in, in Rosh Hashanah, um, and to a lesser extent on Yom Kippur, um, even the objective low plug uh, which means, you know, no exceptions. You know, we, you know, we we look to, you know, to normalize. You know, the practice um, has has greater range than it typically does, and that's because internally, um, it's in the nature of Rosh Hashanah, you know, to be addressing, you know, um, you know, this wide, you know, um, uh, you know, range. You know of both emotions and and responses to individual experiences, so I think that you know uh, that should be embraced. You're, you're asking me, you know, what, you know, um, how do people kind of cultivate, right, a meaningful Rosh Hashanah, a meaningful Yom Kippur? You know, what what can they draw upon, 
you know, to, I guess, inspire themselves uh, and so on. So on the one hand, I think the answer is, you know, the objective things that you would expect, like uh, studying, you know, uh, the themes, you know, studying them, you know, deeply. Um, I think these are all very meaningful and they bring out, you know, the personal applications, you know, to you, you know, as well. Sometimes I'm astounded, but, you know, sometimes inspired and sometimes horrified. But, you know, somebody will, you know, hear something that you speak about and they'll tell you, you know, how they're applying it. Sometimes it's amazing. Um, and sometimes it, you know, <laughs> but it happens all the time. It's through study, through, you know, um, textual immersion, conceptual immersion, you know, et cetera. Like, you know, it touches something in, in people's own, you know, personal experience and so on. So I think that's 50% of it. But the other 50% is that when it comes to tshuva and, you know, uh, again, codifying, you know, mechanisms and overlapping mechanisms, but also uh, a progression of mechanisms for introspection. So the, you know, the personal ask the personalization is part of that particular law. So, um, you know, bringing your own experiences to it um, in a way that doesn't undercut the, you know, the mechanisms and the structure, because that, that's very important, too. I mean, it's a very interesting thing, like the Vidui, you know, that especially we um, accentuate on, on Yom Kippur, the, you know, um, we have like a text of, of that Vidui. Um, and it's also very wide range. I mean, whether it's the Asham, the Bagad, the Gazal, the like, which is very general, or the the Al Chaits, you know, which are very numerous. So I, I always like to say facetiously, I think it's I think it's true. Like none of us have ever met anyone who has violated all those uh, Al Chaits. I mean, um, you could you could probably, you know, and if the Chazan is singing it, you could probably you know uh, get out a little earlier for the break. You know, you could probably cut them down to, you know, um, 70 percent, 50 percent, 30 percent. Some of the, you know, post-Gamasis question, they say, you know, you never violated, you know, I'll hate number, you know, whatever it is, you know, 5, 6, uh, 17, uh, 23. Um, can you leave it out or not? Um or again, another example in the Vidui that, that we speak about in the context of Chuba, say Khatasi, Avisi, Pashati. Um, some of the earlier Mafarshim already asked, you know, uh, are you going to say that no matter what you did? A chet is uh, you know, an inadvertent um transgression. An avon, you know, and a pesha, you know, they are both deliberate, but one is an act of merit, rebellious, and the other is um, you know, more, you know, you gave in to your, you know, your appetites. They're all different. So why each time would you say And some of them say, no, you know, it's it's it means pick the right one. You know, and some of them talk about this in, in the Al-Khats. Um, but I don't think it's correct. I think it's um the normative view is that we say all the Al-Khats, including, you know, Al-Khatayim, you know, that you're uh, that obligates you a type of Korban, which isn't even a you know a transgression, it's a category of transgression. Um, and we say Ashamdu Bagadu Gazal, and we say Chatasi Avisi and Pashati. And according to the Rambam, on Yom Kippur, you um, confess for sins that you already neutralized in past uh, Yom Kippurs. Like you didn't do that, you know, in fraction again. You've been amazing about that. You know, maybe you weren't even tempted, or, or maybe even better, you were tempted and you resisted, you know, depending on what it is. But why do you keep confessing for that? But I think, you know, on the one hand, it's this tension between, you know, the, um, you know, the objectification of the confession. You know, one part of it is, you know, to identify with others, with the Tzibor. You know, that's that's half of the story. But it's not the full story because, um, you know, there's private confession and there's public confession. And, you know, there are different parts of the Shimon Esrei, which implies that there are two different categories. And in both cases, we say it all. But I think the idea is, number one, we try to objectify. Number two, it's kind of an odyssey. We're, we're it's all about introspection. It's all about, um, you know, reassessing, you know, not just our behavior in light of our principles, but reassessing, you know, whether our principles are, um, you know, in proper balance or not. You know, and part of doing that is going through this litany and examining, you know, and, and at least acknowledging, you know, that even if we particularly personally are not in violation of this or that infraction, you know, but, you know, kind of, you know, um, 
you know, thinking or reflecting, you know, upon, you know, what brings people to that, you know, what, what's uh, what's wrong. Sometimes you read an Alchet, I know I do, and you think like, what exactly is that? Or what's so terrible about that? Or isn't that just, you know, a normal, you know, human reaction? So there's a lot of study and reflection. Uh, and I think that that is why, you know, our, our past is never over, you know, our, our capacity to, you know, to, to ensure the future uh, depends on, you know, in, in some cases, remembering, you know, um, past, you know, stumbles um, and challenges. Um, all of that is, is the case. Um, but, at, you know, at the same time, uh, the personal element is also accentuated, meaning they're, they're the idea that you're going to dwell more on the, you know, on the particular, um, you know, categories, you know, that apply to you. Uh, and the opportunity for personal tefillah and and especially, you know, to choose, especially for talking about Rosh Hashanah, you know, um, what to emphasize, and in some cases even to choose the nature of the day, you know, I think all of that um, is an important counterbalance. You have the objectivity and you have the like expansive, you know, reflection on anything and everything, you know, that's possible or that's related to your past. And at the same time, you know, very much uh, the relevance of, of your own personal experiences or going forward, um, you know, projecting your own personal aspirations, I think that becomes a critical part of it um, as well. So what I would counsel is that, you know, people um, should appreciate and study you know, the objective prayers and, and mechanisms, et cetera. But I think more so than other areas of, of halacha, um, you know, personalizing it, you know, um, is very important. Um, and and again, in, you know, I can I can just say that in my own experience, you know, different Yom Kippers have, and different Rosh Hashanahs have very, very different experiences um, depending on, um, on that contextualization. Uh, Rabbi Rosenzweig, you've been, you've been teaching at YU now, if I understand, almost four decades. And uh, you, you have many, <laughs> many Talmudim who are now in communal leadership positions as Rabbanim, educators, Ramim, and also many fellow Maggid authors, such as our very own Rabbi Ruben Ziegler, Rabbi Ari Berman, Shalom Rosner, Yaakov Nagan, David Brosky, the list goes on. And I think uh, the release of your book, because of that, in a way, has generated a lot of excitement. Uh, this is something that people have been waiting for a long time, both among your students, but also across uh, many of our many of our uh, listeners and, uh, and 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 readers. And uh, I guess I just want to, we want to take this opportunity as I think we should uh, wrapping up a little bit, um, looking at the time. Uh, just uh, thank you for joining us on this episode, sharing with our listeners who maybe haven't read your book yet or haven't. Uh, start to read your book yet uh, to get a bit of this this idea that this vision that you you share and that you present so amazingly in the book of using halacha um, as this is bridge of 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 as you say uh, bridging that impossible gap um, to uh, build a meaningful relationship with Hashem. So thank you so much for for joining us and for taking the time at such a busy time of year. And I uh, really appreciate you uh, joining us in the current podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, I just want to, um, you know, reinforce what you said. I do have amazing students who I'm very proud of, uh, including the ones that you mentioned. And um, I just think that, you know, they, the contribution that they're making in, uh, you know, in all, you know, different uh, climes of uh, Jewish life, including those who are not, you know, formally in uh, in education or, or in the rabbinate, you know, but um, their seriousness and their creativity and their, especially their integrity um, is something, you know, which uh, gives me a lot of personal nachas. So um, I want to thank you for mentioning that and thank you for having me as a guest. Well, that's all for this episode of the Corin Podcast. Thank you so much again to Rabbi Michael Wurzenzweig for joining us on this episode and uh, just giving us an incredible uh, vision of of a way of life, a halachic way of life, and that is also so beautifully, as you said, um, presented in the book, Mimini Machael, Essays on Yom Kippur and Teshuvah, um, as a way of taking the, the praxis, the halachic side of the Yom and also 
extending that and turn it into Ashkafa as a way of life as well. So thank you so much, Rabbi Rosenzweig. Uh, if you'd like to get a copy of Memini Machel, you can, of course, get a copy on our website, quorumpub.com. And if you use discount code podcast at checkout, you can get 10% off the book as well as your whole order. And it might not be enough time to get it for Yom Kippur this year, but I'm sure uh, it'll be in great use for, first of all, for all year round reading, but of course for next year, Yom Kippur, Haba Aleinu Latova. Until next time, this has been The Quorum Podcast.